service day, haven't you? It's always good to be in the house of the Lord. Hope you have your Bible. Would you open it this morning to the book of Proverbs, chapter 23? Proverbs 23 and then Matthew 12. And we'll look at some other verses shortly. Proverbs 23 and Matthew 12. I would encourage you to write some things down. I think it will help you uh, in the future and in the present. I'm very passionate about the Word of God. Uh, From the time that I was a teenager, I loved to read it and study it. And so uh, I like to invest it in my life. I read it every day. I study it every day. It's a very serious matter to me. And I also uh, am committed to investing in in the lives of other people. I don't get a lot of preaching here, live preaching, because I speak here more than the other guys. And I always enjoy hearing those guys preach. So I uh, intentionally listen to other sermons uh, several times a week to challenge my will and feed my soul. And it helps me so much. But I would confess that there are times that that I'll go home and my, my heart just aches. Uh, it just aches. Because I know that uh, what I gave that particular service, that truth I gave, not an outline. Uh, an outline is not a message. Uh, it's a skeleton for which the message hangs on. But the truth that I gave, that I will not give it again in that fashion, and sometimes I may never give it again. And there were dear people uh, that missed that. And uh, they, uh, they're going to need that for their marriage. They're going to need that for their, for their work. They're going to need that to sustain themselves. And it's not that I'm important, but the Word of God is important. And uh, I think that's why I'm serious about it. I know what the, the Bible has done for me. Uh, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and conforms us to the Son of God. And so uh, it's a serious matter to me. Someone said that uh, we are the sum total of the decisions we have made. I believe that. Wherever you are today, it's because of decisions you've made in the past. And the decisions you're making today are going to influence your future. Uh, That's an axiom. That is a, a truth. It's a law. But you're also the sum total of the truth that you have invested in your life. I want to say that again. Wherever you are today and wherever you're going to be in the future, what kind of person you are is a sum total of the truth that you are investing and have invested in your life. I believe that. I believe that as much as anything I've ever believed. And, uh, and such is the weight, just, just the weight of the message I'm going to bring this morning. And... Um, it's an important message. I believe one of the most important skills, I hesitate, I wrote the word down and looked for another word, but couldn't come up with it. But one of the most uh, important skills that you can develop is, is how to handle discouragement. Now, when you're young, you don't get discouraged this much. Sometimes you do, but you get over it quicker. But when you get older, life gets complicated. The book of Proverbs talks about that. One of the Hebrew words there in the first five verses of Proverbs gives a purpose of Proverbs. There are different purposes. And one of them talks about uh, life being in folds. Like you take a napkin and you fold it over multiple times. It says Proverbs is, is written to help you with those like manifold, multiple folds. Uh, 
It becomes complex. And the Bible does have the answer. And even if it doesn't tell you why, it tells you how that you can endure that until you find out why. But everybody gets discouraged. It's part of the human condition. Some of us are, are tempted to become uh, easily discouraged, more easily discouraged than others because of the personality. If, you, uh, if you're an introvert, you, you tend to become more discouraged, not because extroverts don't get discouraged. I'm not saying that. But if you have a melancholic uh, temperament, um, you, you, are, are you are in the arts, per se. That's not an excuse, but it's a reality uh, because of the things you think about. And, and you think deeper. doesn't mean you're smarter, but it's the way you think about it, the left brain, right brain stuff. And uh, some people, are it's the way they're wired and so forth. It's the way God made them. It's not an excuse, but it is a reality, and you need to know yourself. But because of that, because we're all tempted to that, if you don't catch that in your life, it can be debilitating. Discouragement is a subtle thing. It starts small, but over time, it can control your emotions. Uh, I don't know if it was... uh, Peter Jenkins, anybody ever read that old book called A Walk Across America many years ago? It's a wonderful book. My mom gave it to me. Uh, This man walked literally across America. He lives outside of Columbia, Tennessee now, I think. And uh, the bestseller, a fascinating book. I think you can still get it. Anyhow, he was down in Mobile, and he got saved. And he went all the way, met his wife. It's an interesting, interesting story. And I believe it was him. But somebody said, what was the most difficult thing in your walk? He met these people, and he literally walked everywhere. He said, well, he said, it's not what you think it is. He said, it's, it's when I would walk, and I'd get a little tiny pebble in my shoe. And he said, that little pebble would get in my shoe, and it would just irritate me. Well, this past week, uh, Sydney, my, my granddaughter, one of my granddaughters, she... Uh, had a little activity over at Tate's Farm, and so it was a class activity, of course. And so Paula and I were kind of invited to go to that, and we gladly did it. We had a really good time. But while I was traipsing around the farm and so forth, you know, they had some gravel. Wouldn't you know it, I got one of those little pieces of gravel in my shoe. And because we were going kind of place to place, I didn't have a lot of time to deal with it. So finally, I got placed, and I stopped to pull it off, and dumped everything out, put it back on, took about 10 steps, it was still in there. I don't know if that ever happened to you there, Charles, but anyhow, <clears throat> that thing stayed in my shoe for two hours, and I kept on trying to shake it out, and then I worked on my sock, and then God had mercy on me, and it got out somehow. But discouragements like that, it can start from something small, and then an irritant begins to grow, and before long, it controls your emotions. So here's the question, and this one I want to talk to you about this morning. Last week I talked about this, but it was more kind of an overview. How do you conquer discouragement? Uh, we talked about um, Jesus, a healer, that he can heal your body. And now we're talking about he can heal your mind. And so this is kind of the second part of this message, healing from a discouraged mind. Now, discouragement is a function of the mind 
before, it is a function of your emotions and your spirit. It goes from your mind to your emotions to your spirit. When you find a person that has a discouraged spirit, they're in bad shape. Now, usually we treat our emotions, but if you don't treat your mind, you're always going to have discouraged emotions and discouraged spirit. A lot of times when you read these self-help books, what they do is they treat the emotions. Well, smile. When you smile, you feel better. And pretty soon you, you fake it till you make it, you know. And, and, and get control of your emotions. And, you know, they're motivating statements. You read this stuff. You say, yeah, yeah, that's what I need to do. So you go out and you, you do these things and it doesn't work. Because the issue emanates from the mind. Your mind controls your emotions, and your emotions control your spirit. So if you want to conquer, if you want to conquer a discouraged spirit and discouraging emotions, you've got to deal with your mind because discouragement, and this is really the thesis for the message, discouragement starts in your mind. Now, I've taught you this, but I want to go over this again. Your mind controls your emotions, and your emotions are so powerful they control your behavior. And a lot of the things you hear today is that, well, they can't help it because they're angry. Well, yes, they can't help it. And we've excused everybody because of their past, because, you know, their dad didn't buy them a hot dog or something. And, and we blamed everybody else but the, but the culprit. And, uh, well, he, he's just lonely. Well, look, um, but they're not going to change because... By, by just giving attention to their emotions. And most of the material and some of the counseling just deals with that. It just deals with surface issues. So my mind controls my emotions, and my emotions are so powerful, they can, they need not, but they can control my behavior. Some of you, that, that's your issue. You, you hear a sermon, it, it never gets into your mind. That's what repentance is. It's a change of mind. It's internal, inside, out. Because you, you practice reformation. You try to change your emotions. You try to change your behavior. That's not repentance. That's reformation. Well, I'll just change. It's self-generated. God starts from the inside. The Holy Spirit deals with your mind. And when we say the Holy Spirit is in your body, do you know what that means? Where is the Holy Spirit? Is he in your arm? I'm not being a smart aleck. Is he in your foot? The Holy Spirit, we said, no, he's in your heart. Well, you know what the heart is in the Bible? The Holy Spirit's in your mind. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. You have the Holy Spirit, and he resides in your mind. And uh, he can speak to you. He uses the Word of God. And when he speaks to you, he can control your emotions, and he can control your body out of that. So... My mind is either reinforcing, listen, he is either reinforcing God's truth or he's reinforcing the lies of Satan. Now, God's truth leads to freedom. Satan's lies lead to bondage. And that's the problem. Some of you came in in, in bondage this morning. You're in bondage to emotions. You're in bondage to discouragement. Brother Rick, I just can't help it. And, and you know what? If you just knew my circumstance, if you just knew what I've been through, if you just knew the husband I have, if you just knew the abuse I take, if you just knew whatever, fill in the blank. I'm not trying to disparage you. I have compassion for you. 
But at some point, nobody can fix you but God. Well, I don't want to be fixed. And here's the thing. After a while, that becomes your identity. And you don't want to be changed because it's an excuse. Now, I know what I'm talking about. And I fought this thing. When you're sick, it can become your identity. And sometimes people say, well, how are you doing? What do you say when you don't feel good? And and you say, do they really want to know? Now, some of you really want to know, but maybe I I really don't want to. I really don't want to tell you, not because I'm mean, just because I don't want to, you know, just say. So I I literally thought about what I tell people when they say, well, how are you doing? So I came up with three or four phrases. Like when I come to church and people say, well, how are you doing? I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to be here. You know what? That's the truth. That's not a lie. And I tell myself, I'm really glad to be here. I'm just glad I got up this morning and I had the energy and I can be here. I'm glad to be here. Or I'm better than I deserve. I deserve to go to hell. I have a wife. I have kids. I have this church. I'm better than I deserve. And I feed myself these thoughts. They're not motivational thoughts. They're true, but they do motivate me. And, and I will tell people sometimes how I feel. Don't misunderstand. I don't deny it. But some of you, this, these bad things have become your identity, and over time they become excuses. You're never going to get better for whatever the issue is. Some of you, that's your identity. It's, it's your down. You're discouraged. And, and you don't want to repent. Remember, repentance is not a change of behavior. It leads to a change of behavior. The fruit of repentance is a change of behavior. Repentance is a change of mind inside out. So my mind either reinforces God's truth or it's reinforcing Satan's lies. So in Proverbs 23, God goes to the wellspring of the problem, which is our mind. Now we'll start with verse 6. I gave him another verse, and we're going to look at it in a minute. But look in your Bible at verse 6, Proverbs 23 and verse 6. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire his dainty meat. So you're going out with this guy, and he's taking you to a really nice place, or maybe you're in his home, but he has an evil eye. It means he has an evil heart. And he's got this well-set table, or a nice restaurant, whatever. The idea of dainty, just just really well set up. It's expensive food. Verse 7, and here's the truth I want you to see. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee. So here's what he says. He says, enjoy your food, but his heart, his heart is not with thee. He's not for you. In fact, he, he's, he's banqueting with you because he wants something from you. He's not your friend. Now that's the idea there, but notice verse 7, the first part. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And we hear that a lot. A lot of secular people quote that, but they don't know it's in the Bible. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are what you think. You are what you think. That's true. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What have you been thinking about this week? What have you been thinking about this morning? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. It's, it's true every time. 
Now, you're in Matthew, turn over to Matthew 12 if you would. Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 33. Matthew 12, 33. Very powerful scripture here. Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good, now that includes the root and the tree, the entire tree, and his fruit good. Now the fruit is the, the external, it's what the, the result, what the tree produces, the produce. So the tree includes the whole system, the root, the internal aspects. The fruit is the result, the produce, the production. Or else make the tree corrupt, the root, the internal aspects, and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. Now look up here. So here's what you have. You have the seed, the root, and the tree. Now once the seed is planted, you can't see it. And once the seed begins to grow, you can't see the roots begin to develop. They're under the ground. You can't see that. And then the tree, you see the upper part of the tree, but you can't see the inside of the tree. We had a storm a month ago or so, and it blew over a tree, fell on mom's part of her house, and uh, hit one of the cars there. And and the inside of the thing was just rotten. <clears throat> it was just dried up on the inside. But when you looked on it on the outside... You couldn't tell on the outside, but on the inside it was rotten because the inside is where the health is. So you have the, tr- the seed, the root, and the tree, and then you have the fruit. And that's what he says. He says the tree is known by his fruit. So we can only know something by its external manifestation, but the external reflects what's on the inside. Now, look at the next verse, verse 34. O generation of vipers, he's talking to the religious leaders, Jesus is. How can ye, being evil, you guys are religious, but you're lost, you have wicked hearts, speak good things? That's a rhetorical question. You guys have evil hearts, you cannot speak good things. You know why? Because what's down in the well is going to come up in the bucket. And you've been thinking, watch this. The root system's bad. The seed is bad. The tree is bad. What you think is bad. And when what you think is bad, your words are going to be bad. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. There's a principle. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth good things. And likewise, an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. So the fruit always reveals the root, and our words reveal our heart. And, and our heart, again, has to do with our, with our thinking. If you want to change your words, change your thinking. If you want to change your tone, change your thinking. If you want to change your vocabulary, change your thinking. It's, it's that easy. Now, it's not easy. It's that simple, I should say. It's that simple. But we need the Spirit of God to help us. Now, this is fascinating. I, I've never really thought about this, so I prepared this message several weeks ago. God gives us a, a warning about wrong thinking. I'm just going to kind of, this little Bible study, I'm going to go through this quickly with you. And I don't have time to have you turn to each passage. You may want to write these things down. But th- this is so fascinating that God rebukes us for wrong thinking because of what it could do for us. John the Baptist was preaching out in the wilderness Beyond Jordan, notice in Matthew 3, 9. Notice what John the Baptist said. Look, and think not to say within yourselves. Now let me stop there. 
Because when you're thinking, you're talking on the inside. You're not talking to anybody else. You're talking to yourself. So before I say anything else, here's what he's saying. Stop talking to yourself about these things. And he tells them something. He says, think not these things. He says, these are wrong thoughts. And here was the thought they were having. We have Abraham to our father. They didn't want to repent. They said, hey, we're religious. We're Jews. We don't need to repent. John said, now stop. In fact, they would say that to each other. But while he was preaching, that was their excuse. Did you know good preaching will do that? Preaching will anticipate and excuse. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell the preacher. But a lot of times in his preparation, the preacher will think about that. And he will put it down to say, you may be thinking. And he's prepared that. We have Abraham as our father. Stop saying that. For I say unto you, here's what John the Baptist says, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Here's what he was saying. Your thinking is keeping you from salvation. It's keeping you from knowing God. You're religious, but you're lost. Think not to say within yourselves. Stop thinking these things. It's keeping you out of heaven. It's keeping you from knowing God. You've got the wrong thoughts. Some of you here may be lost this morning because, because of what you've thought. You're religious, but you're lost. You're not thinking correctly on salvation. The world is that way. They think they go to heaven because they're good. They think they go to heaven because they've been baptized or they're a church member. No, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ. You go The way to the Father is through the Son, period exclusivity and the world boy they balk at that message because it's not fair no it's not fair it's exclusive and god sets the terms so don't, don't think these things think god's thoughts let me show you another one jesus is preaching the sermon on the mount matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 he's talking about the purpose of the old testament law matthew five seventeen. he says think not now, why is he saying that? Because their thinking has been wrong about it. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. That means the Old Testament, basically. And I didn't come here to throw away the Old Testament or the Bible. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. You see, the Pharisees had come, and they were bullying people with the 613 laws that they had deducted from uh, the first five books in the Bible. So you had to obey these 613 laws. Uh, for example, you, couldn't, you could only walk so far on the Sabbath. You, could do so, you couldn't even pick up a stick on the Sabbath. And they had these silly little rules that weren't in the Bible. And they had all of these things. They, they were weighing things and washing. That's why Jesus talked to them about washing of hands and so forth. Tradition tells us that, that uh, when they came to Jesus and says, your disciples don't wash their hands. And I remember reading that. And I thought, well, I guess they're upset because they were about to eat and they didn't wash their hands. But I was thinking as an American, what they would do is, is the, the rabbis said, before you eat, you do have to wash, and then you have to count how many drops drip off your finger. They were pure legalists. They were externalists. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. I didn't come to destroy the law. I fulfilled everything in the Old Testament, in the law and the prophets. 
And then he said this. He said, I, I, I came to fulfill it. And you can come to know God in a real way and not just keep this list and, and, and put this burden on people and bully them. You, you can know me. You can know God. So he says, think not. Don't you think this? This is keeping some of you out of heaven. You're going to reject me because you're enamored with the wrong view of the Old Testament law. Let me give you another one. The Lord Jesus is again speaking to people. This, this is huge here. All of these are important. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, Jesus said, Think not, don't think about this, that I am come to send peace on the earth. Now there's a balance. Jesus said, I came to give the peace of God, peace with God, and there will be peace on earth. But that's not going to be now. It's going to come later. And, and in the present, he said, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Now, what does a sword do? A sword divides. And if you read the next verse, he's talking about these relationships. He says, Some of you, you're going to be betrayed by your children. You're going to be betrayed by your, your parents. Your, your social order is going to be mixed up if you trust me. If I become a part of your life, people are going to reject you. That's what he says. Now, what would you think if you came to follow Jesus and you said, Oh, listen, when I follow Jesus, he's going to work everything out and it's just going to be so much fun. And you came in with these false expectations. You ever know preachers that do that? Well, you follow Jesus he'll every time. If you want something, he'll give it to you. If you need money, he'll give it to you. Every disease you have, he'll heal you. And, and they create all of these false expectations. Oh, man, that's what I want. I want a Cadillac. I want a mansion. And I want God at my beck and call. That's, that's the kind of God I want. Well, God's not responsible to do those things. So what Jesus does, he says, no, if you follow me, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be people that are going to separate from you. There's going to be a division. And sometimes there's not going to be peace. That's the truth. He said, don't you think that way. And you need to get your thinking correct. And once you get that correct, when it happens, it still hurts. But you're not mad at God. And you can almost say, okay, when I go to school and I can't go places that other people go to, I'm not better than them, but I can't do these things. And yeah, the rejection hurts, but Jesus said it's going to be that way. Then you're prepared for it. So, so your thinking has got to be correct. Here's another one. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now that's a good one, isn't it? Don't be proud. Isn't that interesting? He says, then he ought to think. I mean, later on he talks about the measure of faith you have. But there is a level where you say, yes, God has, has given me a gift. This is chapter on spiritual gifts. And I can make a contribution. But I'm not the most important. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to, watch this, but to think soberly. But to think reasonably. But to think seriously about this. Now, if you, if you don't get this thought out of your mind, and you think, boy, I'm, I'm so important to the body of Christ... It's going to lead to destruction in the church and, and uh, multiple people that have that. There will be dysfunction. Uh, 
You're not the most important person in a body. In fact, in Corinthians, he said the weakest person has a, has a vital function. The person that never gets credit. In fact, when they stop doing their ministry, see what happens. That's what he says. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't do that. Pride, pride always starts in the mind. Always. Here's another one. Similar, but a little different. Galatians 6.3. If, if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, that's a reality, he deceiveth himself. Now, I've said this before, but when you're self-deceived, it's dangerous because you don't know you're deceived. You think you're right. Everybody else knows you're wrong, but you think you're right. When you're deceiving others, at least you know I'm in the wrong. But when you're self-deceived, you're on really thin ice. And when you think yourself to be something, you're deceiving yourself because pride leads to self-deception. And so the writer says, if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, don't think this way. Don't think this way in your family. Don't think this way at work. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'll leave and see what happens. You know, they'll just hire somebody else. You'll be real quick. You'll be surprised. Well, I'll, I'll just leave the church. Show them. Pastor said, I'll just leave. Well, I'll show them. You know, they'll just hire another pastor. They'll just go right on. Don't, don't think that way. None of us, no man, no woman is indispensable to a local church. No leader is indispensable. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And wrong behaviors come out of that. Let me give you two more. First Peter 4.12 Beloved, think it not strange or unusual concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Man, I tithe. I'm faithful to God. You know, I try to serve Him. I'm a Christian. Why? Why? Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. You know what he's doing here? He's correcting. They're thinking about suffering. If you have wrong thinking about suffering, it'll swallow you up. Remember, we were over here, when Dairy Queen used to be over here on Drake. And um, we used to go over there after church a lot. And it was late, and most everybody had gone, and Gary Adams was there. I still remember where we were when we had this conversation. And he had had cancer for a long time. And... And he suffered. And I said, Gary, I said, do you ever, do you ever just struggle with this about, about what you've gone through? He said, no, Rick. He said, my attitude is, why not me? Why not me? And I said, I, I get that. I didn't say I liked it. But it's true, isn't it? Isn't that true? I mean, why not? Why not me? Our, our arrogance comes. Why me? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my child? That, that's why it, it just frustrates me. Sometimes I almost get angry when, you know, God heals your child. He's like, well, God is good. 
Well, your neighbor here, their, chi- their child didn't get healed. Is God not good? And then you say it in their presence. Now, I'm personally, I like to say God's been merciful. God, God showed mercy on me. God still has purpose with other things. But we got to be careful. We got to think. We have to think. See, that's what I'm talking about. We got to think about what we say and put ourselves in the place of others and, and realize that our words, our, our words are count. Well, God healed me. God was good. Yes, He was good. I'm so glad He did. But He didn't me. Is He not good to me? God is good. God is good. Let me show you one more. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. This is a love chapter. Charity does much of things. Charity doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. And here it is. Charity thinketh no evil. Isn't that something? Love is a matter of the mind before it's a matter of behavior. Now, I believe love is action. But before love is action, love is thinking. Love thinketh no evil. Because before you can do something for somebody, you have to think of it. And here, what he's talking about, it means give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't, don't think, think. Don't, don't make assumptions. Assumptions have ramifications. And give people the benefit of the doubt. I had rather be wrong a thousand times about somebody than to be right one time with a wrong assumption. Love doesn't think evil. It's up here. Because the, what you think plays out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. it. You say things. You do things. So what are we to do? Well, we're to guard our thoughts and replace our wrong thinking with, with correct thinking. This is my wife's life verse. Psalm 19 and verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Have you ever given God your thought life? Now, I don't mean just morally. You know, immediately, well, yeah, I want to be morally clean. I don't just mean that. But even about complaining. And even about discouragement. There's a lot of other things you can put in there. Let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. You're my strength. You've redeemed me. Lord, Lord, help it be correct. Here's some verses that are crucial. Part of our armor we're to put on every day. The shield of faith. In Ephesians 6.16 Above all, taking the shield of faith. And what does that do? We know what a shield is. It protects us from swords and armor, or, or excuse me, arrows. Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So the enemy fires these arrows at us, if you will. And uh, if you don't have the shield of faith up, what the shield of faith does is it quenches those arrows because they literally, I've taught you this, they dip them in tar, they light them, and when it hits, it splatters, and uh, so forth. The shield of faith, now what does the arrow represent? It it is an arrow that comes to your mind. They're arrows of doubt. They're arrows of confusion. 
There are errors of accusation about God, misrepresentation about God. Some of you listen, your mind, are you listening? Your mind is so distorted about who God is and what God is doing in your life. That's why you're discouraged. You're not thinking right. I'm going to tell you, listen, when I'm confused, Dawson Trotman said this. He said, thoughts disentangle themselves through your lips and your fingertips. If you can't write it out, you don't understand it. If you can't explain it to somebody, you don't understand it. And if you're, if you're saying this a lot, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You don't know what you mean because you can't explain it. So when, when I'm in a, in a condition, I'm just discouraged or some other way, I, I will sit down and I'll write it out. Not for perpetuity. I'm not going to throw it away, but just to understand, okay, there it is. That's the issue. Not so I can attack someone or attack someone. It's to help me, okay, what is my game plan to help me with my thoughts? So I can repent, so I can replace. Lord, please help me with my thoughts. Taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Some of you are just filled up with Satan's thoughts. And I I taught you this weeks ago, how he fills your mind with thoughts. The world puts thoughts there. The enemy puts thoughts there. And the Spirit of God can put thoughts there, but it's so cluttered. That's why some of you are discouraged perpetually. I have a friend that uh, worked with the uh, air traffic control, and uh, I think it was 1981, 82, sometime around there. And uh, so they went on strike. President Reagan had just come into office. He said, if you guys don't get back on the job, I'm going to fire you. Some of you may remember this. I remember when he told this story. It was really amusing. He said, no, he's not going to fire us. They need us. He said the next day he fired us, all of us. He fired a whole bunch of us. And they were young, you know. He was young, and he said, so I had to get a job. And uh, he was he was conservative, but he said, I, I couldn't believe it. He fired me. He fired all of us. They had to bring in people. So <clears throat> he was... He was a, a, a driver. He knew how to get things done. So he began to study finance and business, and he was a good salesperson. So he learned about how to uh, uh, various sales products. And the first part of it involved making cold calls, which were very difficult. Nobody gave him calls. He had to go out and make them. And he said, I went out. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. I didn't get anybody. This is up in the northeast. Nobody's answering his calls. Nobody's talking to him. They, if they open the door, no, I don't need it. He wasn't getting anywhere. He said, I was so discouraged. He said, I went back. I remember my car was parked on top of the hill. He said, I've been up th- down that hill, down that one. And he said, I just got in the car. And I thought, I'm going to go home. But I couldn't go home because I knew my wife would say, well, how'd it go? And I haven't sold anything in five days. I didn't have the courage to tell her, I, I, I'm a failure. And he, I, I sit there behind the steering wheel, and I just, I just begin to cry. And I looked down, and he said, there was a book there. It was a motivational book. It was not a Christian book, but it was a motivational book that I'd been reading to help me sell stuff. So he said, I picked it up, and I began to read it. I read a chapter. And he said, it gave me enough motivation. I closed it. It gave me enough motivation. I said, I'm going to get out of the car. He said, I went out. He said, the next house I went to, I sold my first product. The next house. This is a true story. It sounds like I made it up. But it's just a true story. 
And he said, then business started rolling. I sold another, another. And uh, God began to bless him. Shortly after that, very shortly after that, he trusted Christ as his Savior. A friend of mine went to Christ, began to attend his church. And uh, he became Christian. And he became wealthy. Thirty-seven years after his first sale, thirty-seven years after his first sale, alone in his car, he took his life. My friend, this past May. Now, how does this happen? He was he was discouraged and and even depressed. In 1982 and in 2019, he was discouraged and depressed. It was because of what he was thinking. It wasn't his circumstances. Now, circumstances can leverage that, but it's how you respond to your circumstances. I'm trying to hype you up. Listen, I'm not. I don't believe that stuff. But, but it's how you handle that. It's what you think about it. And at some point, he put his shield down. And when he put his shield down, those arrows, the enemy began to increase them. Oh, you're, you're not going to get out of this. would be better off if you left the earth. Your family is tired of you. I don't know what all he heard. But he heard some things that were self-defeating. This morning, are you discouraged? Are you depressed? Are you in despair? The longer you keep those thoughts, it builds a rut in your mind. It just builds a rut. And they just, they just stay there. And what happens is it, it, Satan builds a stronghold. Now, in the old days, I don't know if they use this word anymore. It's a military term. It means a place that's fortified to protect against attack. A stronghold is just a hold that is very strong. Now, in the Bible, a stronghold is a belief that is reinforced and protected. And when you, when you take these beliefs and you reinforce them over and over and over again, and the devil does that, and then you do it, you cooperate with it. Remember at the introduction, I said you're either reinforcing God's truth or you're reinforcing Satan's lies. And many of us have these strongholds, mental strongholds. And it's not always lust. Sometimes it's just failure. I'm a failure. I'll never be used of God. There's no hope. I can't get over this hump. God doesn't care. We receive these things. Now, in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. That means we don't use um, warfare. We don't engage in spiritual warfare with fleshly things. We just don't use an act of the will. Well, I'm going to will myself out of this. You can't. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The, word, the words pulling down there mean to demolish, utter destruction. Now, how, how, do you, how do you 
destroy a, a belief, a stronghold that is holding you hostage. Here's how you do it. Casting down imaginations. The words casting down, again, have the idea of, of demolishing. So, so pull down these imaginations. Now, this doesn't mean like, uh, well, let me run away my imagination. Imagination has the idea of, of a calculation. It's an intentional thinking, reasoning, or, or justification. A strong belief that is ingrained in your life that you can justify. And you, you just stubbornly cling to that. And you need to get rid of that. Casting down this, this stronghold, this belief that's, that's a part of your life. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. High thing. Pride will keep you from doing that. Pride will keep you from learning from the Word of God and from repenting. Some of you have strongholds about having a wrong view of God that exalteth against the knowledge of God. You're, you're thinking about God is wrong. And, and here's the key. And bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's where repentance is, obeying Christ. You bring into captivity. Your thoughts are captive to you. Your will is in charge. No, I'm not going to think that. And you bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. And then, and then the stronghold is demolished. And then you begin to cultivate freedom in your life. And it affects your spirit. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, The Word of God is quick. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, to the joints and marrow. And the Word of God is a discerner, look at this, of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It goes beneath the surface to what you think. You've got, you've got to give your life to this. You've got to soak in this. You've got to marinate in this. You've got to read this and meditate upon this Word. Have a conversation with yourself based on God's truth rather than the lies from the devil. And converse with the Lord with it. Now, listen carefully. Your feelings are not the truth. Your feelings are not the truth. The devil will tell you your, your husband and wife doesn't care for you. He'll tell you, kids, I'm, I'm better off if I leave home. He will tell you, Thousands of things. Your feelings are not the truth. Satan works through emotions. And he will plant those lies in your mind. David and his army, the Amalekites came and they stole the men's wives. They took them. They stole David's wives. They took all the children the soldiers came back. The city was burned. Ziklag was burned. All of their families were gone. They began to weep and wail. They, they became angry at David. First Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6, the Bible says, David was greatly distressed, greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. And notice this, because the soul, notice this, the soul of all the people was grieved. They were discouraged in their soul. 
every man for his, his sons and for his daughters. Now, now, here's what I want you to see. And David encouraged himself and the Lord his God. He didn't have a CD player. He didn't have a podcast. His pastor wasn't there. He didn't even have a copy of the Old Testament. But he encouraged himself and the Lord his God because he knew the Bible. He'd memorized the Bible as a shepherd boy. He knew these things. And so he encouraged himself by what he thought about God and the ways of God. Psalm 42, verse 5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. He's talking to his soul. Why art thou cast down, my soul? Why are you disquieted? Soul, hope in God. Praise him, and so forth. A number of years ago, I, I became very discouraged. I didn't know why. And then uh, I began to write it down. So why, why is this happening? And I, I won't go through the whole thing, but I had had seven major losses in a very short period of time. And there was a lot of grief in my life. I just just grieving. And if you know anything about me, I'm a very sentimental person. I love deep. I love long. And I just don't shake hands and go to the next thing. And uh, it was very real and heavy on me. And after I, I discerned, I said, okay, this is, this is what it is. This is what's going on. I knew what I had to do. I identified what it was. So, well, what's your game plan, Rick? i got to get this fixed. So I knew some scriptures. And I knew a guy that had written some on that, that had written on loss. Norman Wright ordered some of his stuff. Very biblically based. Had some great scriptures, good thoughts. I began to read it, began to apply it. It helped me. But I was able to do that because I thought, I, I began to talk to myself from truth. And sometimes when you're in grief like that, you're, you're, you're kind of wandering because you're numb. You got sucker punched. Ephesians six seventeen. take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's your offensive weapon. The Spirit has a sword. It's His Word. Now, the word word there is rhema, R-H-E-M-A. The word for the Word of God is L-O-G-O-S, logos. A rhema is a specific word for a specific situation. So I've got these catalog of things that deal with discouragement. Some deal with, uh, you know, church. Some deal with friendship. I've got these catalog of verses. And I take these rhema... And I apply it to that. I've, I've told you this before. But if I say, okay, I've got discouragement. I know, well, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. <clears throat> that, that's not going to do it. Now, I believe that verse. But I need something else. This morning, God helped me with some, some scriptures. Psalm 3.3. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory the lifter up of my head. You lift my head up. Psalm 110 verse 7 speaks of a warrior in a battle. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. When he got some of that water, when you drink from the water of the Word, you'll, you'll lift up your head. Isaiah 41 7, Fear thou not, don't be discouraged. Now watch this. 
Watch all the things God does. I am with thee. Be not dismayed. Don't be discouraged. For I am thy God. I will. This is God's doing. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. This is the battle. It's what God is doing for you. Bring your discouragements to the Lord. Bring your depression. Bring your despair. You've got to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. Don't get your identity from these things. Years ago, years ago, had a bad week. It was a week before Easter. Uh, I'd had a lunch that week, and one of our key leaders had, had just uh, told me that uh, his wife was leaving him. And it was difficult. So, uh, it was hard. I remember I bought a, my dad had had a stroke. And he liked good music. I got my love of music a lot from my daddy. And so uh, I went to the store and I bought him a, a VHS of a, a group singing. I thought, well, he'll like this. So I'll watch it first. Yeah, see what it's about. I know he likes them, but I'll watch it first and I'll give it to him. And I was sitting in our living room and I was writing my... Going, I had already finished. It was Saturday night. I was going over my message for Sunday. Uh, that Sunday on Easter... I had to lead the singing. I had to preach. It was going to be a difficult day. I had some burdens. My friend had burdens. And uh, people weren't aware of this. And so uh, the music was good. And then all of a sudden they began to sing this one song. And the lyrics just grabbed me. They just pulled me in. And then I put my notes down. I just watched the television and listened to those words. And my wife was sitting on the little love seat there. And I was on the couch. Boy, the tears began to flow. And that song just began to massage my heart. Because of the lyrics. It's a beautiful song, but the lyrics grabbed me. And when I, when I finished listening to that song, I had the strength and I had the courage based on a biblical theme from a song that I needed for the next day. Because I knew there were going to be a lot of people here. And I didn't have what it took to offer. But God helped me that night. Now fast forward almost 20 years. And my kids are married, five of them. Most of them have their own kids. And I send that same song to them because they have bills and they have parenting decisions and they, th- they go through hard things. And when they were kids, that song didn't mean anything. But now they're older and they need encouragement and they need help. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning if you would.